Welcome back to another episode of the We Live to Build podcast. I'm here today with Jason Rosenstein, the founder and CEO of Portion, a blockchain-based auction house. Jason has a degree in computer science with a specialization in cryptography at NYU and started his first company in 2013, which sold turnkey crypto mining machines. Jason has taken Portion from a digital auction house specializing in NFTs to a metaverse development platform and not just a marketplace. Portion was one of the few companies that paid a whopping seven figures, $1.2 million for virtual land. Most notably, Portion has featured celebrity works, including 2Chain, Wiz Khalifa, Virgil Abloh, I'm sorry, I don't even know this guy's name, Kiza, I'm, I'm trying here, Philip Pline, and well-known artists to make exclusive NFTs. Now the team has big plans for the Portion District in Decentraland. Today, we're going to be talking about NFTs, what they are, and why you should take them seriously, even though we're in the middle of a downturn in the global economy and a crash in the crypto markets. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Jason. I appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll go into the NFT stuff. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for having me. Very grateful for you. Um, very briefly, my background, I started with cryptocurrency, um, specifically, of course, Bitcoin in 2011 as a miner. I'm a developer. I'm an entrepreneur. Everything I've done over the last decade, I guess it's been a little bit over a decade now, has been in blockchain and been in cryptocurrency. That's really been my fascination and just watching this space explode from being purely financial transactions to data. And now, of course, to NFTs has been fascinating. Before we go any further, I think the first most prudent question that I should ask you is what the hell is an NFT? Okay. So an NFT, so I, I started seeing NFTs around 2016. We didn't call them NFTs at the time. It was referred to as crypto art in those rather early days for what soon became the NFT. And an NFT is a non-fungible token, which means you can't trade it for anything else. And as simply as I can put it, the most popular NFTs are digital art that are attached to the blockchain in a very specific way, meaning that one individual knows they have irrefutable ownership of that digital image. I've heard of this thing called a smart contract and I've heard of this thing called an NFT. Are they really not just the same thing? Well, you need to create a smart contract on the blockchain to be able to instantiate an NFT. So NFTs are smart contracts on the blockchain, most popularly on the Ethereum blockchain. And what do you think the strengths of NFTs are? Why should people care about them? People should care about them because we're, we're entering this, this new age in the internet where we're shifting away from ownership of physical items. And now with an NFT, it allows individuals to have access and ownership of digital items. And I think that's that's really important, especially for areas in the metaverse. As things become more and more digital, it's important for individuals to know and have ownership of those objects that they're utilizing in this new internet. Where we are with NFTs right now, do you feel like we're past the money grab stage or are we still there? I hope that we're past it because as you know, Sean, in early 2021, NFTs really blew up. From my perspective, so many people that never would have been interested in NFTs were talking about them. And, you know, there were money grabs. And it's, I guess, let's use a metaphor. And 
because history repeats itself. In the ICO boom of crypto in 2017, there were money grabs. And after that bear market that occurred after the ICO boom, all those projects got washed out. And the ones that were left were there to stay. And it's just my hope that the same thing is occurring now in the NFT space. The, the projects that were money grabs, that didn't have the proper culture, that didn't have the proper community and utilities, I hope that we'll see them getting washed out. You know, it's the survival of the fittest and the money grabs just simply won't live. So what are some NFTs that you think were not money grabs? Things that people should have paid attention to. Um, definitely the early NFTs, the OG NFTs. And we're talking things like CryptoPunks and Rare Pepes, you know, from, from 2016, 2017 for the punks. Those are just very rare OG NFTs that are here to stay because gigantic communities formed around them and there's been a, a tremendous value created in that. What kind of value is created? Because from where I'm sitting, it just looks like a picture. It looks like a picture. It is a picture, but it's a digital collectible that's extremely desirable. Why is it desirable though? It's desirable, well, because people want them because they're rare. Think about like rare stamps. It's a similar thing that happens in the physical space. Think about, you know, rare artwork. Think about a Picasso. Think about, you know, things like the Mona Lisa. The early NFTs are the Picassos and Mona Lisas of this new movement. And people simply gravitate towards them because they're the most well-known. And because they're the most well-known, People want them. It's a simple thing that happens throughout the art culture for thousands of years. So do you think, and I would probably like put more of an emphasis on the, the Gen Zs, because a lot of the ones that I know are really interested in NFTs. Do you think young people see NFTs as a way to like hold wealth the way uh, older people look at like real physical paintings? Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, in the, in the, in the older days, when someone's been successful from a financial perspective, they diversify those assets into, you know, let's say like a, you know, traditional Picasso, like we we're saying before, some form of art that retains its value. And now when a Gen Z or even like an earlier millennial has created wealth throughout this ecosystem, no matter what it's in, whether it's in crypto or, or somewhere else financially, they diversify that wealth into NFTs. And for them, it's important because they can diversify the wealth. They can have their collection. They know that if they're choosing the right NFT, it's probably going to retain its value. It's, it's a simple method of yeah diversification. There have been a tremendous number of NFTs that have come out. Who do you think makes the most money from them? Is it the creator of the NFT? Is it the designer of the art that goes into the NFT? Is it the buyer of the NFT who then tries to resell? You know, who is it? It's a very good question. And it's entirely dependent on, you know, what sort of contract the creators have with the artists. I've, I've seen deals where the artist gets 50% of the sales and so do the creators. I like those. I think, you know, the artist should always be re rewarded sufficiently. And then of course the owner of the project and the artists are, are also splitting the royalties. I think in any given in case, generally, the, the owners and the artists receive the most monetary benefit from an NFT project. You'd have to really, as a collector, you'd have to really buy a significant share of the NFTs and then 
hope that you know you've done well on on what is an investment to be able to make more than the owners so obviously i have to ask have you bought any nfts oh yeah you know i i i've got you know probably over a thousand nfts you know and i have profile picture nfts which are you know usually quantities of ten thousand or in the thousands at the least i have a lot of one of ones that i really like from some of my favorite artists in this space um yeah i mean i, I love nfts i you know i can't i can't own an auction house for nfts and not own any myself you know i've created nfts too what's the average price of an nft that you you see on your marketplace our goal is to be this this high-end curated auction house it's really hard to know the, the exact price because we, we've done both profile picture nfts and one of ones um but when we when we do like a, a one of one i'd say the average price is for a one of one between ten thousand and twenty five thousand bucks for a one of one what are some of the other marketplaces that are out there that people might look at for nfts just because they may not know anything about nfts and uh, a price point of ten thousand or twenty five thousand on your platform might be too much for them so maybe it's there's other ones that are cheaper OpenSea is a great place to get nfts there's a lot of you know they're, they're the biggest marketplace there's you know ranges from probably like a few bucks to millions of dollars for an nft there's just there's a whole range um super rare has significantly high value nfts some of them probably go for you know thousand bucks on there so that, that's a very good place to buy nfts known origin is excellent maker's place is very good what's the most expensive nft you've ever seen sold anywhere i, I guess the the biggest collection that i've ever seen um i think it was by the artist pack in his merge series it was a series though there were many many nfts sold but i think the total was around like 90 million dollars that pack sold in, in that sale wow and do you know if they kept it all themselves or i don't know if they kept it all themselves i'm sure that the platform they sold it on got a percentage i'm sure that the developers who helped with the smart contracts got a percentage so th there's always other, it's not just going straight to the artists in, in, in that case. What other use cases can an NFT have besides just being a picture? Oh, lots of things. I mean, an NFT can be a ticket to a concert. It can be a ticket really to anything. It can have a utility so that you're getting, um, you have access to a discord, let's say a server a community, it can be um, representative of a deed of a house or some other object that a person owns. Um, the sky is really the limit on what an NFT can be. But at, at very as simply as I can put it, an NFT represents ownership of anything imaginable in the digital world or, or even in the physical world. I'm glad you mentioned those things because as I mentioned earlier, I feel like the first time anything happens in the crypto world, it's like a money grab and then there's a crash and then people start to think about what it could actually be used for. And while that's being built, people are already moving on to the next money grab, right? Like ICOs happened, they became a money grab, they blew up, they crashed, the companies got wiped out, the ones that were real 
stick around. But then the DeFi boom happened. So people were trying to figure out how they could take advantage of yield farming and staking and all of this. And then that boomed and crashed. And while people are reeling from that and then DeFi, you know, companies that are legit are sticking around, then the NFTs come out and people are money grabbing and all that. So I'm like thinking about what the next um, potential thing could be. But while that's happening, I still see that NFTs have a massive potential beyond just being a picture. Um, for example, I've only purchased one NFT and I don't think I'll ever purchase another NFT, but the NFT I purchased was called Gents Croquet Club, GCC. And the only reason I bought it, and I bought it, I didn't even know about it before the mint. So I bought it, I bought it on OpenSea. So I, I paid a good bit more than everyone else, but I bought it because it was access to a Discord server. There was only a thousand of them and it was access to a website that had a lot of reports about cryptocurrencies, trading and NFTs and metaverse, uh, land, things like that. Uh, and really a lot of the people that are in there are entrepreneurs. I've spoken to a good number of them and a lot of them are seven, eight, nine figures a year in what they're doing with their different businesses. So I bought it for long-term access to those people because I think that they're really cool. Cool. Yeah. It's all about the community. You know, the community is always more important than the technology. Exactly. I had thought about even using NFTs as an access for beta to my software company's platform because, because I thought NFTs are a way to raise money and we need more money. So might as well think about how we can get web three forward thinking entrepreneurs to get access to our product, get access to each other, right? So we would have a community, we would have the product, they would get access to all this stuff and they would get, um, you know, like a permanent discount on services. Now, obviously the problem with launching an NFT is it it's intense. It takes a, a months and months and months and it requires a lot of money, just kind of like an ICO and like a crowdfunding. Um, you said that you launched your own NFT collections. Why don't you speak about kind of the process that you went through in terms of saying, Hey, I'm going to launch a collection to launching a collection. When I started making, um, crypto art, it was, it was January, 2017. And they really, you know, we didn't call them, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't call them NFTs at the time. It was crypto art. It was, they were rare pepes. We weren't, at least I wasn't thinking about making money. You know, that, that wasn't even a thought that crossed my mind. I was having fun. You know, there was, there was a very small group in, in this, in this community. And, you know, it was, um, it was kind of a joke, you know, to, um, to be creating these rare pepes. And then the, the culture behind it was that we're creating art, you know, we're a bunch of artists, but it was, you know, it was, it was frog, you know, but then it started to get serious. You know, and, and the pieces that people were creating started to evolve. And all of a sudden, you know, people were pulling in things from all different cultures and, you know, montaging these, these rare pepes. And it just, it just made sense, you know? And like, when you saw a rare pepe and if you were bringing together like these threads and creating this beautiful piece, we'd refer to them as dank, you know, that, and that, that was like the actual phrase that we'd use and it became serious and people started to, to buy our pieces and. And at that point, when, when we were monetizing it, it was just really, it became down to creativity and it, it, it was pretty simple. The most creative that you, the most creativity that you could put into a piece obviously made it more desirable on that market. 
and then we were getting paid for it. So it came in the in the reverse of of what you know some people might might think today. It didn't start with I want to make money. How do I make money? Okay, I'm gonna make an NFT. It was just I'm gonna create some art, and then it started to to make money. Fortunately, so it was just this this very rare happy situation where you know the the passion preceded any sort of thoughts of of being successful financially. There's been talk of metaverse and NFTs. I'm curious how you see NFTs playing a role in the metaverse. Okay, so metaverse, um, you, you have an avatar, you have objects in the metaverse. It's it's um it's important that things that you own are NFTs, in my opinion. I can't see the metaverse being done properly if if there isn't an, an actual NFT ascribed to all the things you own, you know, let's say you have a sword, you know, you have some sort of weapon in the metaverse on your avatar. I think that we're, we're approaching this asymptote of a physical reality blending with the digital reality. And as it becomes more and more real, the things you own are going to be real because they're instantiated by the scarcity that an NFT provides. And they'll have real world value because of that. So NFTs can, can be ownership of land in the metaverse. It can be ownership of, of objects that you have. It can be ownership, you know, of, of wearables and clothing on your avatar. And it can be even as simple as in your little metaverse, whatever house that, that you have built in five years, you know, you, you have an NFT on the wall, which is, you know, an actual NFT created by an artist. So we're just, we're blending these two worlds and we're approaching, you know, the digital world being just as real as physical. So let's say you're playing Final Fantasy 25, which clearly doesn't exist yet. And let's say it's like Final Fantasy 14, where it's an MMORPG. Are you telling me that a random bar in a random city in this MMORPG could be purchased with an NFT and then all of the people who play the game who go to this place to buy stuff would end up actually putting money in your pocket. I think so. That, that's my bet at least. And because I see, you know, when the metaverse really starts to take off, because it hasn't, just simply hasn't yet, there's going to be this play to earn economy, in my opinion, that's going to be created. And I, I don't think that, that, that people in the future will ever be playing video games to just it for for free essentially I, th I think that every game will have an economy in whatever metaverse it is and I, I think people will be playing to earn and I think that everything will be real and I think the objects will be real and there will be rewards and it's just I just it just comes down to that I, I don't think gaming in the future will be just to play the game I think there'll be real money on the line and there'll be real stakes and risk do you see us needing to have VR headsets for the metaverse to work? Or do you think metaverse can work on laptops and phones? It's, um, it's not as good of an experience right now on a laptop. Phones just like it's terrible, but on a laptop, it's not that good. I mean, I think headsets are going to be more and more popular. They're going to be less bulky in the future. They're going to be easier you know, to, um, affordable, essentially easier to acquire. 
I think they will be essential, but I think the technology is, is going to get to a point where it's going to be just like a pair of sunglasses you wear and you're, you know, you're immersed into that world. Does that scare you at all? That we might be living in a digital world? It doesn't scare me. The, the only concern is that people start living in that digital world more often than the physical world. Um, there are definitely concerns. Don't we already do? We do. And it just, we hope it doesn't get any worse. Is it realistic to expect that it's not going to move in that direction? I guess we, we can only hope that at a certain point in time, it blends so much with the physical and it's just like these augmented reality worlds where you're living in both at once, it can function in both worlds simultaneously. There, there probably will be a period of time where people are so immersed in their, in their headsets and you know they got like their BCI, their brain computing interface on and they're just living in this world. But I think it's, it's gonna come to a point where we come out on the other side and both worlds are, are completely meshed together and interoperable. How long do you think it'll be until that happens? Until we come out on the other side and it's like this augmented reality world meshed together with, with metaverses? Yeah. I don't, it's really hard to tell. Maybe by 2035. I don't, I'm just, I'm just guessing a random number. You know, the technology really has to advance. Yeah, of course. You know, we, we need to have, we need to have BCIs that are safe to use and you know not a like a chip in your in your under your skull on your brain you know some sort of headset that we can use um yeah it just really has to advance so there is actually a a company that beat Neuralink to having a chip in a human really i think that they just announced it i think they just announced it like yesterday or two days ago like uh july 19th or july 18th I have to check that out. What is the, uh, what's the name of the company? I'm not sure. I'll have to check it on. That's exciting to me. Yeah. I got like a ping on my newsfeed cool. and I didn't get a chance to read the details yet, but I saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Cause Neuralink was talking about doing that like in two years. Yeah. Or no, no. I think they wanted to do it the, by the end of this year, but I don't think they're going to. Did they? I, I saw the, um, the Neuralink, I guess we'll call it an experiment. The experiments with the, um, I believe it was like a chimpanzee. I don't know enough about it, but he's controlling the screen because they implanted the chip in his head. How, what do you think about that? I don't like the idea of having a chip. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you said that. It's an uncomfortable feeling, man. You know, it's like to, to have to do that invasive surgery. Like, it's just, it's like, it's paradoxically barbaric in a way. I think BCIs will take off, but you know, the way I see it is that, in, you know, you, you wear a headband or something, you know, to interact with, with your machine. Well, the problem is it, you can't directly like connect your brain to it because it's only able to feel the movement of the skin or, uh, you know, the sweat coming off the skin, whatever, however it, it measures, maybe the waves coming up of your skull, but. I can see why he wanted to do it like that. It makes sense that you put the chip inside of your brain. Obviously, like his first goal is to help people who are uh, disabled or have uh, injuries, spinal discord, spinal cord problems, things like that, to have normal functioning. But at the same time, learn from that how you can have he healthy people to improve themselves, even you know, become more than just human. Um, Obviously, with an end goal of, you know, creating this telepathic species in which everybody has one, so we don't need to speak anymore, basically. Um, in which you can access the internet. Basically, you can surf the internet with your brain, which 
I don't know about you, but I've seen um, uh, Ghost in the Shell. I've been watching Ghost in the Shell. They've got multiple series and uh, movies for the last 25 years, 26 years, 27 years. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but like that's some pretty crazy stuff. No, I haven't, but I'll, I'll check that out. No, you've never seen Ghost in the Shell? It sounds interesting. Oh, yeah, that's... So, like, it, the first movie came out in 1995, and they were talking about um, 2032, I think it was. And now we're pretty close, and they've had to actually jump forward to 2045 in their latest series, just because uh, when you look at what they were predicting almost 30 years ago, pretty much none of it has come true, and it's not their fault. Like, they were, you know, they're just heavy on the sci-fi, and we just haven't really caught up, because, like, they're... In 2029, 20, 2032, like they were saying, we'd have, you know, full cyber brains, like you could have full replacement body parts and you could, you know, cyborg eyes and things like that. And we just can't do that stuff now. It's really just meant for people who've injured themselves and lost a limb and things like that. So like their storyline is way ahead of what our use cases are for, but it's really cool to watch because um, they've got, you know, augmented humans and full cyborgs and uh, robots that, you know, that have AI in them and all, all sorts of stuff that um, are cool. And it takes a very heavy um, political tone. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the main characters are government officials, but they're in a, uh, a special section, a special agency that like nobody knows about. It's just like, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 15 people from the whole government of Japan knows that they exist. Um, and, you know, they're supposed to lie about who they are because their goal is to stop terrorism, like cyber terrorists and, and real terrorists and things like that. So um, yeah, it's just really cool. I don't want to waste too much time here. But uh, if anyone is interested in that kind of stuff and has some time to kill, Ghost in the Shell is one of my favorite, favorite anime series and uh, movies. And yeah, there's like five series and like five movies over the last 27 years. I'll check that out too. To date. So it's really, really cool stuff. Um, but they... They don't really, they, they kind of have a notion of a metaverse, but they never really talk about the buying of things and the selling of things and the ownership of things. For them, it's more like you can put on this headset and you surf the internet, or you can close your eyes and you can surf the internet. So like their brains are connected to the internet and they've got, let's say an arm is connected to the internet. And so this arm could be hacked by somebody and it could be used to choke yourself if they wanted to, right? So like all sorts of, so it, it really touches upon the dark side of what the future looks like with this stuff. And they have to find who these hackers are and prevent them and, you know, go to the manufacturers and make sure that the manufacturers are preventing their, their things from being hacked and like, just like really crazy stuff, really crazy stuff. Um, things that we need to think about for our future. I, I think that stuff is a concern you know, and I think, um, you know, just I hope that the individuals creating that new technology are, are really savvy in cryptography, you know, and can really encrypt all that very sensitive data with, with, with those, those new, um, what do we call them, machines, I suppose, if we're talking about like robotic limbs. Yeah. Well, don't worry, you'll always have work. <laughs> well, you know, anything's possible these days. I, I think we've seen we've seen the craziest stuff happen in the last few years. So I think your concerns of, of that being a concern are super valid. I want to go back to NFTs because I just reminded myself of something. Speaking of hacking, I've heard that there have been 
like what hundreds of millions of dollars of nfts hacked in the last like two years something like this do you know the numbers probably i don't know the exact number but it's it's probably a lot yeah i mean just crypto alone there's probably been a, a billions of you know if we include all the nfts hacked easily billions you know multi-billions in the last few years how can someone if they do buy an nft protect it from being hacked well it, it's a good question and, and i think that goes back to to the philosophy of of bitcoin and the decentralized nature of cryptocurrency because the user who holds the keys hold their funds they're the only people who own the funds it's decentralized there's no centralized control and that's why people really like it you know because they can be in charge of their own funds on their own accord and if the the proper um security precautions aren't taken those keys can be stolen so it's it's really important just to you know if you're holding nfts you're holding it in the same keys as cryptocurrency it's really important to know that your keys are always secure it's it's it, it comes down to that and having the right knowledge and you know information on how to make sure your keys are stored and that no one can hack it or steal it or you know just clicking on a funny link man on discord people have gotten their, their stuff stolen so yeah talk about that a little bit more what are some of the ways that you've heard of people being hacked so that people so that the people listening can get a sense of like how careful they have to be yeah well I, i'd speak from experience um this was a wild hack and one of my investors what's how long ago almost a year and a half ago got hacked and they stole his portion tokens and this is one of this is one of the most savvy computer scientists I know on the planet, man, a guy who would never get hacked. And what happened was he clicked on a link on Discord. And by clicking on that link, the hacker was able to access everything that's ever been on his clipboard, everything he's ever copied. Okay. And it just so happened that months ago, he copied and pasted his 12 word mnemonic, his keys onto another MetaMask account, right? To back up another account. And they were able to look through everything he's ever copy pasted. And within seconds, I don't know how they did this. They must've had some bot running within seconds. His entire account is drained hundreds of thousands of dollars. Tragic. I've, it's just tragic from a person I, the last person on planet earth that I expected to happen to. How do you clear your clipboard? I don't, I don't know how to clear clipboard offhand. I'm sure there's an easy way to like Google how to do that. I don't, I, I think the, the problem is we've learned from that situation is that you never copy paste your mnemonic. You never do that is, is what we learned from that. And I've done that in the past, you know, open up a new machine, you know, I have to copy it to another machine done that you know i've securely sent keys that are encrypted but i had to copy them first so we just we never do that even if it's on a new machine you just never do that because you never know what might happen years down the line you click the wrong link five years later they, they could have access to those keys that's incredible one of the ways i've tried to protect myself is whenever i get a new laptop or a new phone or whatever i will put holes into the old one and i will burn it I will set the the CPU on fire and I will set the hard drive on like I will put holes. I will drill that shit until it is on fire. And hopefully then they can't do anything with it. You might have to. 
you gotta do what you gotta do man it's like you know um what's it called cold storage is excellent like a ledger like an you know um device that's not online ever those are excellent um store your keys on paper in a safe split them up you know keys are 12 word mnemonics generally you know put split it up into four different pieces of paper put it into four different safety deposit boxes like you can go to the to the end of of extremity having to protect that and that's that's DeFi for you you know when the keys aren't in someone else's control and they're not backed by you know a bank you got to be your own bank you got to take care of yourself it's the wild west though definitely is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to mention well i i'd like to to reiterate the fact that this is the wild west nfts are the wild west the metaverse is the wild west this technology is going to continue to evolve rapidly it's going to be completely unrecognizable in five to ten years and everyone should just stay safe you know don't invest in things you can't afford to lose there are money grabs out there just like in any industry and you know stay safe stay smart and continue to see what happens it's, it's really exciting what do you think nfts will look like in five to ten years or what do you think blockchain will look like in five to ten years nfts beginning with that i think the nfts that blew up in in this last boom a lot of them were two-dimensional we're talking about just profile pictures images i think nfts are really going to evolve to be three-dimensional things three-dimensional things that you own in the metaverse that's like the next iteration um for the blockchain i see um I see the blockchain taking off more than it has in the past. Bitcoin and Ethereum, I'm betting on it as, as things that are here to stay. You know, that's not investment advice. But, um, you know, these blockchains are going to get to be quantum resistant. There might have to be some changes in the next decade of the algorithms and hashing um, cryptographically that are utilized. Um, I think that... Um, you know, major countries, we're already seeing it, are going to be producing their own stable coins, are going to be using the blockchain in a much more consumer-friendly way. And that brings me to the point of being consumer-friendly. People that are, you know, holding NFTs, collecting NFTs, interacting in the metaverse with their blockchain wallets, interacting anyhow, any way with the blockchain, I don't think in the future they're going to need to know how they're doing it, what blockchain they're on, it's just going to work. You know, you're going to log into your iPhone app. You're going to have your NFTs. You're going to, you know, log into whatever metaverse and you're going to have all your assets that you're not going to need to know. Like this is backed up on the Solana blockchain. And like, it's just all the complexities are going to be taken out of the, the obfuscations are going to be put into place so that it just works. You know, it's like, Sean, like when I send you an email, it just works, you know? We're not talking about the, the complex TCIP layer and how it works like we are today in the blockchain. It's just going to work in the future and it's going to be really consumer friendly. Do you think the governments that are making stable coins now are going to succeed in replacing fiat currencies? I think they're going to succeed in creating stable coins. I... um. I don't think it's going to replace fiat when they create these stable coins. It's still going to be referred to as fiat. It's just going to be on a, on a different, um, 
different layer, different method of transfer. I guess, you know, my hope is that someday, and this is an outlandish statement, my hope is that Bitcoin is like a world reserve currency someday. That's really what I'm hoping for. But for now, that's it's still a pie in the sky dream. And I only say that because it's a better system. The, the money is digitally scarce. There's not inflation that, that can occur. There's not, you know, people really taking advantage of the system like they are with, with fiat currencies in a negative way. I've had this idea that as CBDs rise up, so central bank digital currencies, as they become a thing, we will almost see cryptocurrencies try to be outlawed in a way so that you're kind of either on this digital fiat or you're on this digital cryptocurrency and it'll be difficult to go between them because the governments maybe don't want to allow people to have access to the cryptocurrencies so that it kind of becomes a black market and there's like people that are spending crypto and there's people that are spending digital fiat and there's no real way to exchange them. Do you, do you, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I know what you're saying, and I hope that isn't the case. I, I guess I, I have like this, this optimistic perspective on that, that, that these, these CBDs are going to be a much easier on-ramp to cryptocurrency. That's what I really hope for. And it really just depends on how they're created, how those stables are, are created, how decentralized they are, how much freedom people have in that. And it's really, it's too early for, to tell how they're going to be created but we just have to have a, an optimistic perspective at this point. My understanding is that they're going to take some of the aspects like immutability and go, you know what? We don't need that. <laughs> they're going to say, oh, you're going to get your salary in our CVDC, but we're going to garnish your wages on the way to it coming to your wallet. Or, you know, we think you sent money to somebody that we don't like, so we're gonna freeze your account. Does that not worry you? It does tremendously. You know, it's a big brother situation that we're talking about here. You know, they, they want to, to retain that centralized control. They want to have full omniscience everyone's spending money, where that money's going, how it's being used. And I guess things like that are unfortunately possible and, and even probable. But I just hope that there's a different sort of consciousness in the future and that there's more freedoms than we have now. Maybe that won't happen, but the best I can do is, is re, you know, retain my optimistic outlook that it's going to give people more freedom. You know, and, and when we get there and when things are looking bad, there's going to be a resistance to that sort of thing. Like that's, you know, that's just what's naturally going to happen. I try to be optimistic, but I lived in China for too long, man. I see like the Chinese are the first to have a CBDC. Why do you think that is? Freaking they love to know what people do with their money. And... For the longest time, people haven't paid tax. Everything's been done in cash, right? And then in the last decade, we've had the rise of WeChat. And so we've gotten this digital RMB, but it's not a CBDC. And so the government wants WeChat to tell everyone, uh, to, to tell them who's spending what, when, where, why, how. 
but Tencent's like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell you that, right? The government, of course, tries to force them to do it. And so the government doesn't like the fact that Tencent's basically become a bank because they have trillions of dollars processed through that app every year. And the government's not in control of any of it. So the government wants to push out this CBDC so that, guess what? You can use it on WeChat. Go for it. No problem. But I also have all the data of a trillion, or not a trillion, a billion people using WeChat and where that money goes and when, where, why, how, and all of that. Yeah, it's, it's a concerning situation. You know, the centralization of China, it's just wild to me that, that something like that could even, you know, manifest on Earth. And I just, you know, from, from my perspective, like, just got to pray for the best. It's all I can do right now, you know, and continue to create decentralized projects, projects that really innovate, how, how people utilize technology and have freedom and, you know, their own control. Like that's the best I can do is, is to continue to create things that give power back to the people. And hopefully on some little level, if it's just a grain of sand, you know, if each of us creates a little grain of sand, we can, we can make a change. Well, how can people follow up with you? Um, my email address, jason at portion.io. If you have any questions, I'm down to, to chat a little bit through email. Um, I have a Twitter, just, you know, Jason Rosenstein. Um, if you type that in, I think my handle will come up. So yeah, I'll be around if anyone wants to chat. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate that. If you know anyone that's interested in NFTs, then definitely tell them about this episode. And don't forget that entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. So take care of yourself every day. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate it.